Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to Believe in Softball. I'm your host, Jenna Becerra. And while March has its Sweet 16, May has its Super Regionals. What a wild weekend of regionals, first of all. When you go from 64 teams to 16 in about 48 hours, I guess it gets crazy. And the crazy train is just going to keep rolling for postseason, and so will we. So however you got here today, whether it was an audio podcast platform like Apple, Spotify, etc., or watching on YouTube, thank you. Subscribe and rate if you haven't yet. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Believe in Softball. That's B-L-E-A-V. Click the link in our bio on either page or go to shop.believe.com to purchase some merch. We have three shirts available for our favorite segments, covering our bases, safer out, and catch you soon. All right, let's go through today's batting order. First, we'll be covering our bases, give you some news and call-outs from around the softball world. Then we'll head into today's interview with Nicole Auerbach. You might have read her articles, might have heard her on the radio, might have watched her on TV, or even seen her on Twitter. But she is a veteran sports journalist who loves her some softball. So my kind of people. Then we'll end things with the foul tip of the week, where we share tips to help us get better. All right, let's go. Covering our bases. Bet Online is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines and the latest matchup reports for this year's NBA playoffs. BetOnline is your sports intel headquarters this season as we have you covered for all your insider sports wagering needs. From basketball, MLB, NHL hockey, golf, to UFC, and boxing. The fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games, available to play right from your home. Get into the action today. So head to the website or use your mobile device to join and be sure to use our promo code BELIEVE to receive your 50% bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. And where postseason started. First, it's regionals. I was at the Stanford Regional. As the loyal listeners know, I actually was helping ESPN out on the production side this time around and got to see past guest Amanda Scarborough in person. She was there as the color analyst along with Mark Neely, who's been uh, around as well. I saw him at the Pac-12 tournament and here and Super Regionals last year, so it was good to see them. There's also a future guest on this show that you'll have to wait to see who it is soon that I got to see in person. And also on a personal note, there are a couple of seniors whose careers I've covered from the beginning. Their last at-bats in Boyd and Jill Smith Family Stadium at Stanford were home runs, and it just warmed my heart. One is Sidney Steele, the third baseman, and one is the shortstop. Emily Young, the fifth year. And I was very, very happy for them. And those are the types of moments that I love that we get to see throughout the postseason across the board. There's also craziness across the board. I mean, what a weekend. So just some quick facts to start us off. Three national seeds are out. Number two, UCLA. And then, of course, LSU and Arkansas, number 10, number 11. The biggest shock was UCLA, obviously. Not just that the number two seed went down, but also that they went two and Q. Two games, gone. You know, their last three games of the season, including that Pac-12 tournament championship against Utah, they lost. It's just not what you'd expect from a team that nearly swept all the Pac-12 conference awards this year. But one cool aspect that came from it is having the UCLA legends in the house. You know, Stacey Newman with San Diego State, as well as Dot Richardson leading Liberty, and they got to play in Easton Stadium and have that experience. And 
first ever supers for the Aztecs. So congratulations to our past guest in front of the show, Stacey Newman, on that, as well as Dot Richardson on an excellent season with Liberty. Five regionals went to the if necessary game. So that means 11 teams also went undefeated for the rest of those regions. But the undefeated and unseeded teams, I was particularly impressed with. One of them being, yes, Stacey Newman, San Diego State. Didn't even have to play UCLA, which made that interesting. And Oregon. Oregon took care of business in Fayetteville, and that's all they had to do to move on to the next round. Down to the last pitch we were for multiple games as well in those if necessary games. I mean, it was down to the wire. And one example of that is the Washington seven runs they brought across in the seventh inning for the comeback. Down six to nothing. They score seven in the seventh. It was wild, and I respect I respect it so much. And it was funny because I was talking on the phone with my dad while they were down six to nothing, and he was like, you know. The thing about Washington is you never see fear in their eyes when they're at the plate. And I was like, yeah, that's true, dad. You know, I mean, there's a lot that they're going to have to overcome right here, but yeah, that's true. And lo and behold, not only did they come back, but the biggest, biggest names on the team really stepped up, you know, shout out to Sammy Reynolds specifically because she came up with that three RBI hit to tie up the game. And as you know, as a fifth year senior, doing that on your home field, like there's just nothing like it, you know? And, and that was one example of these extremely close games. Of course, Louisiana and LSU, they're going to Seattle too. So both coming off of that kind of like late stage momentum from regionals to go up against each other for supers. The power five proportions are really interesting. And what I mean by proportions are how many teams got into the NCAA tournament versus how many teams actually advanced from regionals to super regionals. So for the Pac-12, they had the most. They got six teams in, four advanced. So that's 67%, basically two-thirds. Big 12 had four in and three advanced, so 75%, highest percentage, but three total. ACC had six in and three advanced. The SEC had 12 in and three advanced. So that's 50% versus 25% moving forward on the East Coast. The Big 10 got four teams in, and they had one that advanced, which is obviously Northwestern. And then the other two, of course, the Sun Belt with Louisiana and the Mountain West for San Diego State. But just something I think is interesting for us to keep in mind for the data just is what are the proportions of the teams? There's the total number, of course, but then what's the percentage of uh, of having that quote-unquote success to move forward? But again, when you go from 64 teams to 16 in two days and three days, it's guaranteed to be wild. So second, Super Regionals specifically, I did write another article for Softball America that breaks down the eight Supers with the last 16 teams vying for a spot in Oklahoma City. It is literally titled 2023 NCAA Softball Super Regionals Preview. Definitely read that for a full breakdown. A lot of you know that my favorite round might be Super Regionals when it comes to postseason. I have that personal experience where, you know, I was one out away from making it to Oklahoma City twice my freshman year, my junior year, just lost at the end in super regionals. So I just have a thing for it, you know, and the big goal always being Oklahoma city adds to that. So we're going to find out this weekend, but a few of the big questions that are going to be answered in super regionals, a few that I'm interested in. So Durham can Duke score enough off of Elena Vodder and Nigeri Kennedy, you know, the nation's lowest ERA holder in Kennedy as well as the veteran experience 
of Elena Vodder, it's going to be tough. Like they are tough to squeak runs across against. In Tuscaloosa, is Montana Fouts available? She threw some bullpens. We'll see. She didn't actually get any time in the regional. If not, can they handle a hot Northwestern team? They got through regionals without her. Jayla Torrance stepped up. Can they continue that with a team that is frankly underrated, coming from an underrated conference, and they're fresh off the Big Ten Championship as well? In Tallahassee, can Georgia's offense power through the ace that is Cat Sandercock for Florida State, especially coming off of a perfect game like she threw in regionals? That's such an interesting matchup that we're going to see. And I can't wait to see how that ends. And then in Seattle, again, who's going to bring that regional magic to Supers? Who will get the timely hits? They both had to have those big moments to get to this place. Who's going to do it again to move forward to Oklahoma City? And, you know, I break down the rest of the Supers, provide more detail, including impact players in the article as well. What some other big questions are that will be answered. So I highly suggest you just go check it out before this weekend. Third, I am going on a little bit of a Believe podcast tour right now. It is obviously the most wonderful time of year for softball fans, and I am excited to be joining other Believe shows to talk about the Women's College World Series and the sport and its growth and just plenty more. So I've already joined some, like the Charge On podcast that covers UCF, Are You Serious Sports that covers LSU, The Hog Talk that covers Arkansas, and then Believe in Kentucky as well. Have a couple more coming up. So far, Believe in Georgia Dogs, as well as Baseball Grind, and maybe even some more after that. But we talk a lot about the growth of softball within the softball community. But I think to see its impact become more mainstream in the larger sports world is awesome. So tune into those shows for more fun that even goes beyond this show. And to bring it home, you know, it's mayhem. Let's keep doing what we do. Once again, Stay glued to those ESPN networks. Stillwater and Tallahassee, by the way, both start on Thursday. The rest start on Friday. So your weekend plans are set, pretty much. And game two of the Knoxville Super, by the way, with Tennessee and Texas, is going to be on ABC. So let's get those ratings up, y'all. Let's let's show up for that one, especially. And then, you know, let's see how many, if necessary, games we need this time before the big enchilada. And someone who will also be covering the action is today's guest. So let's head into the interview. She is a senior writer for The Athletic, radio host for College Sports Today on Sirius XM, 2020 National Sports Writer of the Year from the National Sports Media Association. She primarily covers college football, but also covers men's and women's college hoops. And since last year, the Women's College World Series, Nicole Auerbach. Nicole, thank you for joining. This is exciting. Yeah, happy to be here. I'm super happy to have you on, and I particularly loved a recent tweet of yours where you shared a story of being a kid who started playing softball, but you picked it over cheerleading, and that just like warmed my heart, just that you would pick softball over anything. Can you share that story with the listeners? Yeah, so softball's been my favorite sport my whole life basically. But, um, I, so I did not play T-ball. So this was like the first grade version and my mom had signed me up for a lot of things. I tried soccer, did not stick. Um, I was literally one of those kids who was like picking flowers on the end of the field, like away from the action, um, which my mom loves to tell me because obviously I work in sports now. Um, and so she signed me up for cheerleading, which was fine, but like, whatever. And the next, uh, or that, that, that same spring or the following spring, she signs me up for softball. And 
I loved all the cheers that the softball teams were doing. And I was like, oh, wait, so you can actually cheer and get to play in the game that you're cheering about. And you can cheer for your teammates who are also like playing in the game that you're playing. And um, so I just like loved that so much. And so one of my favorite things when I watch college softball is that you can hear all the cheers and when they show the shots of the dugouts, like I love that that stays with college with softball all the way through and that it's not like there's a phase in high school or college where you're just like too cool to do cheers like that it just brings me back and it was one of the things that drew me to the sport in the first place and I just love it like as the soundtrack as the backdrop when you're watching a game it's just it's never silent which I think keeps people engaged in a way that you just don't have with baseball I agree obviously I'm very biased of course but yes yes, it is that like extra sort of factor or energy that softball has that does feel unique. And it is, it is like a nice reminder of when you, you know, we're that little girl that just loved to play and it's, it's still there. So I totally agree with you. And they even still do cheers that like we did when I played. And even when I was like, I know, right. I know. I love it. I know it's the exact same ones. And then there's some new ones, but yes, it's like exactly the same. (laughs) Do you have a favorite cheer? Mm, I should have come prepared. Um, (laughs) Oh God, I'm trying to remember. Um, I mean, the one that like immediately just comes to mind that I would get stuck in the head was like, we want a single, just a little single, S-I-N-G, Ellie single, 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 and just keep going on that. And I've definitely heard that one. But there were some very like choreographed, like very like storytelling cheers that I wish I could remember all of them. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, it's, it's awesome because it's funny when, like, I'm sure people didn't, haven't watched softball and they're watching it, they'd be like, oh, this feels like a little forced or like that they're trying to project something. But it's like, no, you just literally have done this every single level at every softball game and tournament that you have ever played. Yes, that is a good cheer, by the way, the one you, you chose. And that is one of the ones that's been around for a while. Now they, they'll yes. like remix like current songs. And you're right, they'll have like certain dance moves. And we did that like a little bit mm-hmm. uh, when I played, but it is like next level, the props, all of it is in, insane in the best way. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I love that you love it so much. Because I saw too, like you tweeted recently, you know, this past weekend watching regionals, like you're like ideal Sunday and you're watching softball all day long. Mm-hmm. I agree with you, but like outside of the cheers, what else about softball has really hooked you? Well, so I played it all the way through high school. Um, like I was a, a fasted pitcher and so I've always loved the pitchers. Um, and you know, like Kat Osterman, I like grew up just absolutely worshiping her. And I, I loved watching the women's college world series, um, because, you know, I mean, you just didn't get them any opportunities to watch softball on TV. And that was one of them. I just thought they were so cool. And um, I, I mean, I've always loved the sport because I loved pitching. I, I just, I, it was always such a challenge. I took lessons. I loved working on like a rise ball and, you know, just really nailing a drop. Like there, there were some things that just like you, you could see yourself getting better at. And so I played rec league all the way through, which was one of my favorite things. I, um, my childhood friends, we all played all the way through high school. And like our, the rec league in our town was like a pretty big deal. And people just kept playing in addition to playing for their high school. And I also played travel ball. Um, So I did get a little bit burnt out by the end of my senior year um, of the sport in general, just like I I wasn't going to try to play in college or anything. But I loved the the camaraderie. I loved my teammates. I loved 
just the, the feeling of when you were in the zone as a hitter and you felt great about something. Um, I just love the electricity of a big play and a big moment and then coming back into the dugout. But really, like, I, I just I fell in love with pitching. And, and so, like, there was just nothing more rewarding than, you know, than fooling a hitter and getting them to swing at something out of the zone or, um, you know, again, like the rise ball and, and screw ball. Like, those are just such cool pitches. And you just, like, I grew up watching baseball. We were big, you know, we grew up in New Jersey. We, we were big Yankees fans. And there's just nothing like it. Like, I mean, I, I loved Mariano Rivera. Like, he was my favorite <laughs> Yankee. And I obviously, and, and like for good reason, because like I was a closer for my rec league team. And like, I just love the pressure of that moment of coming in to, to put a game away, but like, they're just, the, the pitchers just are different. And so I thought it was just so cool to get to master the rise ball in particular, because that was the one when the boys would say, let me try to hit off of you. That's the pitch that you throw at them that they have no idea what to do. And they're like, Oh crap. Like I, I'm wrong. Like, the ball moves totally differently with softball. So I always love that. And then I just think it really translates well to TV. When when I was at Michigan, I would go to games. Um, my roommate in orientation uh, before freshman year was Dorian Shaw, and she became Michigan's home run queen. So I stayed in touch with her, and I would go to games. Jordan Taylor was a pitcher there at that time. We were close friends. And I would love going to games because it was – there were always like a lot of people, a lot of different ages and a lot of young girls who would want to talk to the players afterwards. And I just thought it was such a welcoming environment and the players would always talk and always stay and uh, answer questions. But then now that I'm mostly watching on TV, except for the actual women's college world series, it's just such a great TV sport too, because I think it's just so fast. You're talking about the sound of the cheers and like this backdrop to it. So there's always something happening and there's always energy. Um, but then it's also just, it's faster, right? You're closer to the, to the, to the hitters. Um, there's just more different styles of hitting that can happen that can be effective, uh, and to have a chance to get on base with the base running, like the athleticism of the softball players now is, is really remarkable. And, um, I was talking to Patty Gasso for a couple of Oklahoma features I was doing and like, that's, what's really jumped out about just like how unbeatable they are is like the athlete that now plays softball and especially the athletes that go to Oklahoma, like you used to be like, okay, to be a power hitter, but you're not going to run the bases that well, or like, you know, you'll be the DH or you'll be first base, whatever. But all of their players can hit it out of the park and are also incredible athletes and can steal bases. And like, it's just so interesting how, um, how athletic these top players have gotten in softball, but I just, I, I just find it like a really engaging TV sport and I was watching um, the seven innings live that ESPN did on ESPN app. And so they had even six games, uh, which I guess they were calling like the six pack at one time, which I thought was great. And I feel like it's kind of perfect for like how um, um, my attention span these days and also like my FOMO. I don't want to miss like an exciting moment in the game. So I thought that was actually a really great way to watch regionals because, you know, some of those games were a little bit lopsided. So it was easy to like keep tabs on everything. Totally. It's like the NFL red zone, but for softball, it's like yes. the best. Yes. It's the best for all of us fans. Yes. Instead of having like 15 devices pulled out, you know, you can do that. It's awesome. Yes. Completely. Yeah. That's amazing. But what's awesome too, is the fact that you have such a great body of work covering a lot of sports. And like I said, introducing you football, basketball, all of these things, but it's, 
it's been really fun to see the athletic doing more and more last year, this year in terms of covering the women's college world series. And I know you all are live blogging the whole thing, the whole tournament this year. How did that come about? Yeah. So last year I went basically just for the final. Um, I literally just the two OU Texas games and, but I had done a couple of stories in the lead up. I actually did a story that was really fun to work on, which was like about Patty Gasso's early teams that laid the groundwork, the groundwork for what would become a dynasty. And like, what did they buy into? What was she like then? What were the facilities like? And it was really fun to talk to um, a lot of the players from that era but I then covered the the championship and got to see Jocelyn Allo. And we did do a live blog then. And it just really took off. It did surprisingly well. And I remember thinking, okay, when this comes around next year, like pitch it, like to do earlier and just provide more coverage. Because as someone who was covering a later round in the tournament, I was the one realizing there was not that much out there. Like it was hard to track scores and figure out what was happening unless I was watching the game. Like, right in front of my TV. And so I thought that the live blog would be an, a good avenue for us uh, just to, again, have a, an easy, like for me, selfishly, to find all the scores and to find like the interesting stat lines, um, but also just to be a landing place for, for that type of information or highlights or cool plays or all these things that like I was having trouble finding last year in one place. Um, so that's been fun because obviously you can't predict that like UCLA is going to get knocked out in the regional round, but there was a lot of eventful, uh, you know, moments and, and results. And so we just kind of leaned into it. And I think I've noticed this with covering women's basketball as well, which is also something I hadn't really done um, until the last couple of years, but like you can feel when a sport has momentum and is growing and there's more of a casual sports fan paying attention to it. And so I think just trying to find those sports and, and lean into them and provide the content and see if they come for it because either like it's not visible. So you're, you're not attracting people. Um, and that's why like every time there's softball or basketball or whatever on ABC and it's really accessible and really easy to find the viewership numbers are always high. And I, I feel the same way about if you write about it as well, it's like, if you make it easier to find information about, then you're going to be more invested in it. So I think just trying to find those spots and my editors were really receptive to it. Um, you know, they were the ones last year being like, Hey, do you want to go? No, this is something you've always been interested in. And so we're trying it out. And I think we're going to see, you know, what that audience is like and appetite is like to, uh, to keep doing it. But I, I just think we've seen the numbers and the viewership numbers and readership. We have all the metrics and data, like we've seen it taking off for, Women's basketball, softball is absolutely in that grouping. Volleyball, gymnastics, like these are sports that are great in person and have in a lot of places in the country have like a really devoted following. And then you also have like these are TV audiences that when they have it, when it's accessible, they are always setting these records or, um, you know, just continuing to climb. And so it just makes a lot of sense to me about why we would as a media outlet want to lean into that as well. And I just did a story uh, last week about Clemson and Duke launching softball programs. And I've been so fascinated by that. Like when I've done radio shows and we've had those coaches on, we've talked about it and I wanted to kind of drill into it a little bit about like why that sport, right? Like there's title nine reasons that you right. need to have a women's sport and you need to have those scholarships. Um, but what was it about softball? And then like how they were able to lay a foundation 
so that they could be this good this quickly where like we're they're regularly hosting regionals and Duke's hosting their first super regional. Um, and it's just really interesting because I just, I think it's a microcosm of all of the stuff that I was just talking about for the media ecosystem. It's like, if you invest in these things on a local level or, you know, it, it, at a national level as well, like it's just going to feed off each other. Like these are good investments. And I think that's one of the areas that has changed a lot with women's sports coverage is, or I hope continues to change is like not viewing it as a charity case or like we're a good person for covering this sport, but covering it a, because it's really compelling and interesting and B because like business sense makes sense to do it. Like this is, there's an audience that is poised to grow if you provide coverage of these things. Yes. Yes. And I, you, the ex, the accessibility thing that you're hitting on too, it's like, that is the thing too, is because it's pushing it from being like maybe what people might view as somewhat niche to a little bit more mainstream. And if it is more accessible, then yeah, you're right. It's there. And that's across women's sports all around the, the country and all around the board. So I appreciate that for sure. And I'm glad that you brought up your piece. I loved it um, about Duke and Clemson. I've had both head coaches, Mercy Young, and John Rittman on the show. John Rittman's actually my old coach when I played at Stanford. So it was really fun oh, to have yeah. him on. Yeah, to talk through everything. I was like, do you still do X, Y, and Z? And he, he kind of does for the most part. Yeah, they were uh, they were both great. And um, I just, I, I think it's so cool. A, and fascinating. Like I was mostly fascinated with them about what do you do when you get the job and then you're not going to be competing for a couple of years? Like what are all those steps? What are the days like? And they both talked about like the input that they had in like facilities and like the stadium and things that they wanted and like touring around and looking at other stadiums to figure out what they needed. Um, and then just like what recruiting the first group of players was like who knew that they were basically going to lose a year of eligibility, but laying a groundwork um, because they weren't going to be able to compete, but they needed to be there and they could kind of start doing some stuff. I thought it was so weird that both programs essentially did triathlons to like I saw the that. players like competitive and working towards something and like Clemson's was like a little bit different they named it like the tiger tiger triathlon and they like did kayaking and some stuff but the Duke one was like a straight up like a sprint triathlon and I was like oh and it was just funny because Mercy Young was like yeah softball players are not always known as runners and and swimmers and all of these things I was like yes absolutely true that was another reason why softball is my favorite sport because it was the least amount of cardio of all the sports that I played growing up and my dad would always stop at Dunkin' Donuts in the morning on the way to a tournament. So I would get to eat a nice like sausage, egg, and cheese bagel. And then I didn't have to run that much. So that was always my favorite sport for that reason. It's so true. We always say like run 60 feet, turn left, maybe a few times at most. Yeah. And that, you know, you're good. <laughs> it's like, it's yeah, that and easy. Meanwhile, like I was playing like tennis in the fall and it was like suicide drills all the time because like tennis is, tennis is all moving and all running. So it was always it was always a nice break. But yeah, I mean, like I thought that stuff was really interesting because both of them were competitive so quickly. And I think that it probably doesn't happen the way that it has in a non-transfer portal era, because mm -hmm. like that has been a I think like huge reason why there's parity in a lot of sports, because you're able to plug and play and it doesn't take like multiple years if you're kind of like don't have depth at a certain position or you miss on a certain recruit. Um, and, and Duke has, obviously, it's harder for them to take transfers with academic crimes. You, you're obviously aware of like Stanford, like the, the, there's certain programs that can't rely on that, but it still helps. And I think that 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 in just sort of like the way player movement is these days, 
um, you know, creates a lot of avenues where you're like, oh, here's an opportunity and I can play right away, or it's easy for me to enter the portal and get in contact with them. So it, it's just fascinating to me because, um, you know, like obviously, and I know it's kind of like ironic when you still have like Oklahoma and they could still win their third straight national championship that like we're talking about parity, but there really is more of that at more places, even if you still have Oklahoma like at the finish line. Well, yeah, because it is sort of Oklahoma and then everyone else. Um, but everyone else competing yeah. against each other is still very entertaining and has been outstanding to watch and only gets better from year to year. So I totally agree with you there. And I, I love the the kind of breadth of your softball coverage too, like the the growth aspect with Duke and Clemson. But then you mentioned you love pitchers. By the way, I've had Jordan Taylor on the show too. You mentioned her earlier from Michigan. Oh, She's from oh, yeah. you probably have talked yeah, you've probably talked to her more recently than than I have. <laughs> <laughs> it was last year, but yeah, she grew up sort of in the same area ish uh, of me um, in Southern California. So that, that was fun. But oh, I, I saw your, okay. you mentioned Jayla Torrance too from Alabama. I saw like that feature about her kind of stepping up in regionals and even just the LA regional that you covered plus the landscape of everything. So what is your favorite kind of story or kind of write up to put together? Um, well, I mean, I think everyone, you know, who comes up through the writing ranks, it's like a great feature, you know, something that really resonates and, and explains who someone is as a person. I always used to say that, you know, my mom, like my mom was one of my softball coaches. My mom plays tennis, like she loves sports, but she's never going to read an article about Derek Jeter's batting average improving. But if she, if somehow Derek Jeter actually opened up about his personal life or something that like, like a human element um, she would read that. And so, you know, I, that was like, as I was getting into the profession, I just like always constantly thought about that. And so, you know, those are the stories that, that always resonate and working on a couple individual features on some of the Oklahoma players. And they're just, they're just really compelling. I mean, I think, um, you know, like talking to Jada Coleman about changing positions and like when you're so good at what you do, and then in order to play and be the best, um, with the best, like you can't, play your favorite position. You can't play the the place that you're most comfortable with because you can't make certain plays that your teammate can. I thought that was really interesting. And she's also been thrilled out like with her family. And so like I'm excited for that story and and for for people to um to read it and connect. And like I like I said, the story I did last year on the class that laid the foundation for Oklahoma, uh those early teams. I, I love doing stuff like that because I just think, you know, sometimes we just get so wrapped up in where someone is today or where they could go in the future um, that sometimes you just kind of like you, there, there's these there's this like treasure trove of space and stories that um, that aren't told. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think I love doing, you know, explainer stories. And that's why I like kind of grouping Clemson and Duke together of like, here are these young programs. How did they both do it? Um, so I love doing stuff like that and, and, and pitching in, but I think, you know, it's, it's the human element. Those are the stories that are incredibly fun to, to do and to tell the stories and, and to share with people. And I think that's where, like, when we talk about the growth of the sport, you know, part of the reason everyone was really invested in the women's basketball tournament this year was like, people knew about Caitlin Clark, that she was a household name everyone knew she was must see TV. And I feel like by the end last year with Jocelyn Allo, it was that same way. Everyone wanted to see every at bat because you wanted to see if she was going to hit a home run literally every single time she went up to bat. And so I think 
that it's those types of players, not that they have to be like generational talents, but just the idea that like you, there had to be a reason that you were turning on these games and tuning in. And because you know something about a player, that could be that reason. And so finding those stories and again, sometimes, you know, it's a Derek Jeter and there's really like not much that that person's willing to put out there. But a lot of times, especially, um, you know, I think with softball and women's basketball, like these athletes are incredible and they all have incredible stories and they're so interested and eager for them to be out there and they understand the value in using their platforms that I, I think it's become really cool to, to watch all of that unfold. And I think too, like in the NIL era, I think they understand that putting out pieces of their personality is a good idea and it's helpful. And I think we've also seen that like, these brands and people want to partner with female athletes because they do have these audiences and these followings. And, and so the, the economic power piece of this has been also very cool to follow. Definitely. And I saw, I don't know if you saw that Caitlin Clark threw out a first pitch at an Iowa softball game. I think she kind of bowled it in the dirt, but you know what? We love that she tried. We love that she tried. Yes, absolutely. And we found something she's not good at. Like we just write it down. That's the one thing. She's human. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, one thing that theme that's kind of popping up uh, as well when we're talking, and, and this is for women in sports, whether you're an athlete or whether you work in sports or whatever your role is, but just in the sports world too. I did see your TEDx talk about being aggressive in a good way, where for a lot of us women, especially like we want to be good, but we also want to be liked. And like, how do we kind of balance and rectify those things? What would you say to some of the athletes who may be competing, you know, on the biggest stage um, about that? Yeah, so um, that was a great summation of, of what it was, but it was essentially just like thinking about when you're in these positions and you're very like public facing and we're all wired, like, you know, I'm, I'm extremely competitive, you're extremely competitive, it, all these athletes that I'm covering, like you, there's obviously something in you that is driving you to get better when you're already among the best of the best. And it, it's about like, well, in order to be that good, you're going to ruffle feathers. Like you are going to do something that is going to bother someone. And, and in so many parts of like society and day-to-day -day life and a lot of professions, like people expect the either female colleagues or like your sisters, your aunts, your mom, whatever it is to be very accommodating and to not ruffle people's feathers and to be very appreciative of all of, of opportunities at all times and be kind of passive. And like, I've experienced that, you know, and we all have, especially in, um, in, in male dominated fields, like it's, it's very hard and, and you're constantly thinking of like, well, I want to say something or I want to, you know, provide the value of having me here and being, you know, bringing a viewpoint that is different from, you know, all of my male colleagues but also not wanting to bother people, not wanting to be labeled difficult. And um, so I kind of had to just like rewire my brain on that and realize that in order to be good at what I do, I have to be aggressive. I'm going to have to bother people. And, um, you know, they're going to be they're going to be pissed if I break news that they're not breaking or, um, you know, kind of like rush off and get an interview that they were like waiting around hoping that I would just like let them have. Right. And um I think it's true, you know, for, for all of these athletes that, that we're covering as well, even, you know, when you are looking at within the context of like, you know, a 
a female sport, right? And that there's a lot of women playing softball, like you're still fighting the same battles. You're still in an ecosystem, media ecosystem in sports where it's very male dominated. And you also have that added layer of like, again, for a long time, people covering women's sports, it was like a charity project. Like you were treating it that way. Like, and, and to be asking to be taken seriously, asking for those platforms and that access and, um, and not just having to like say, oh my gosh, I'm so appreciative of this moment, but like really owning it and being who you are. Like this is one of the things I wrote about after the Caitlin Clark, Angel Reese uh, taunting yep. incident, whatever it's called at the end of the national championship game was like, I get that not everyone like would want that, would, would handle that situation that way. But like, we should be in a situation where women are to be their whole selves during competition like we see men do things like that we see taunting we see trash talk we everyone's like ah another pat bev moment right like it's part of that game and there's still these expectations around female athletes about you have to look very feminine while you're playing um you know again you have to be kind of quiet and appreciative of all times and um yeah like trash talking like no and then you had people men jumping in to be like well you know trying to like defend caitlin clark when she didn't ask for that or need it and was fine and said that people shouldn't be uh coming at angel reese like it's fine she 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 dishes it she can take it but all of that is part of other sports that we just don't have the same conversations for female sports and so just constantly navigating that space where there's these like societal expectations about femininity but also about like you know what being super athletic and competitive is about i i totally understand like just trying to balance that and figure out that place um i did a story probably almost 10 years ago now um now maybe not maybe like maybe like eight six or eight um it was about i covered swimming at the um the london the rio olympics and so i think it was leading into the rio olympics and it was about female swimmers and body image and it was about eating disorders, but also just like the body type for a swimmer, like you have broad shoulders and like a a narrow waist. And like for men, that is what is the attractive, like, you know, you're ripped and whatever, but like that, that frame, like the broad shoulders is something that is attractive for men. But for women, it's like a different body figure is viewed as like the, the uh, most attractive so like, what is that like? Also, how is it to, to buy clothes, right? When your body type is just not what like society and, and magazines are telling you is the most attractive. So it's like all of these things that female athletes are dealing with and then college athletes are doing it on a national stage in front of all of these people that have direct access to you through social media. It's just a lot. And so I think it's so similar to anything where where you're in a male-dominated field and you're thinking about all of these things and how you come off all the time, what you're wearing all the time, the tone you're using. It's just all interconnected. And so I think I would love for us to get to a place where people can just be unapologetically who they are all the time, but we're probably not still there. And so, you know, the advice would be to just continue to be who you are and to be who you are on the field and do what makes you great. Um, that's how you got here. And, you know, eventually just like wait for everyone else to, to catch up or to realize that that's why you're doing what you're doing. Like I, I am going to be aggressive in the way that I pursue stories and breaking news and things. 
Um, and like the work will speak for itself. And so I think it's the same thing as a female athlete, your work will speak for itself and, you know, you need to do what you need to do to get there. And it doesn't matter if it doesn't look like exactly like, I don't know what, uh, you know, magazine cover or, um, what other people's expectations of how you should be doing what you love and what you're great at. It, it just matters. Like, did you get it done? And, and did you do what you needed to do internally to get yourself there? Yes. I mean, all, all I have to say after everything you just said is like preach. That's like kind of all I have to say, because I feel like you summarized it so well. And it's something that, you know, as somebody who covers like collegiate athletes and even professional athletes too, but women's sports and softball in particular, like this comes up all the time. And then even I'll tell you, like on a personal level, watching your TEDx talk recently really resonated because I've been kind of like trying to get my mojo back almost a little bit, even in my career and like being in this field, it's, you want to be nice and all those things that you touched on. And I was like, you know what? I started to feel a little bit more of that, like gumption and that fire that I had when I did play, you know, when I was on the field. And anyway, I I felt like it was so relevant to what everyone's dealing with now and including myself. So I very much appreciated that message. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. And Hopefully it helps people. I mean, that was the goal. I was like, all right, like let's we'll get a little personal here and um and, and hope that it connects with people. But yeah, I mean, I think that these are very like universal feelings and thoughts. And um I think that's been one of the benefits of more awareness around mental health and everything is that people are have language to talk about these things, but also understand um, you know, that they're not the only person going through or thinking about this these topics. But it's really hard to be a, a female athlete. It's, it's very hard to be in the public eye, in the public domain like this. And so I just think, you know, we always need to think about that. And, and especially, um, you know, I even with professional athletes, I know they're getting paid a lot of money. And then, like, someone misses a kick in, like, an NFL game and then just people are awful to them. Like, none of that's I, – I don't – none of that's good. Like, it's just – it's not great. But I'm, I'm, I appreciate you having me on and, and really talking about these things because I think they're all interconnected. And it's about like the way that we cover female athletes and, and women's sports and support them by treating them just as seriously as we treat everybody else. And I think they're all connected about letting people just kind of be who they are and, and not handling anyone, including ourselves, with kid gloves. Yes. I so appreciate this. I so appreciate you coming on. And before we do a quick fun wrap up really quick, just letting everyone know how they can follow you and your work. Yeah. So Twitter, I'll probably let the easiest way uh, at Nicole Auerbach, A-U-E-R-B-A-C-H. Um, you can also find me on Instagram. It's Nicole underscore Auerbach. Um, I'm on theathletic.com all the time. Sirius XM Wednesday through Fridays, noon to three Eastern. And then in football season, also on the Big Ten Network. So that's uh, the roundup of all the jobs. That's awesome. I can't wait to see the rest of your work, too, for the postseason, obviously, for softball specifically. But I would talk to you all day long. I know we don't have all day long. You're, you're in high demand. But I do a quick sort of wrap up with every guest that comes on the show. It's just called uh, Safer Out. It's a little game. I'll bring something up. If you okay. like it, you agree with it. You call it safe. If you don't, then you call it out. Makes sense. <laughs> yep. Okay. Um, so the first one is the props and rally caps in the dugout. Safe or out? I'm all in. Safe. I, agree. I like them. I, I think it's fun. It's also like a very like 
like TikTok has like enhanced what we expect, I think, from dances and coordinated efforts. So I think that's fair game, safe. I agree. And actually softball TikTok is like taking off. The Oregon team, I feel like years ago started this trend where it's like even random people that knew nothing about softball was following some of these players. So totally. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was the first one. Second one is accessories like ribbons or glitter and eye black and stuff like that. Safer out. I'm typically yes. Um, I think especially ribbons and I definitely wore eye black back in the day. So safe. Yeah. Did you ever wear eye black at night where you're like, okay, this is obviously just a flex and not. Yes. For, yes. Yeah. Well, we did not, we did not actually use any of that stuff for like a real purpose. It was just to look cool. And then like oh, yeah. also did the same thing for like powder puff football. So it was not at all weather related. A hundred percent. Yeah. Sometimes you just have to look good to feel good to play good. You know, that's how it works. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Next one is you touched on this, but for the record, NIL, name, image, likeness, safer out. Oh yeah. I mean, pro safe. I think, um, with, the, I think with female athletes, we've especially seen it like the way that it was intended. Like you are actually a star and you are a spokesperson for something. Um, and not like some of the weird ways that people have been using it for like football, men's basketball and like recruiting inducements. Like it's just been an awesome opportunity, I think, for female athletes that I was trying to tell people would be there because people have these incredible platforms. Um, so very pro, I think that it's great that, you know, women can cash in. Makes sense. All right. Last one is bat flips. Safer out. I'm pro, so I'll go safe there. I Again, I think that personality is a good thing. I think that like having villains in sports is a good thing. So I think celebrating, overly celebrating, whatever people want to describe it as, um, is, is a good thing. And I don't understand why people get so offended by bat flips. I mean, the, the way to stop that from happening is to not give up a home run. So as a former pitcher, that's my stance. I've had some pitchers that I've been surprised that some of them are like, yeah, I mean, I'm going to throw one at their ribs next time, you know, but others have actually also been like, if I gave it up, you know, it is what it is. And I was like, that's very, that's very enlightened and mature. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, again, like you can't, you you did it right. Like it's bragging rights. You're, you're allowed to do what you want. You, You hit the ball. Yeah, it's very true. It's very true. All right. Well, thank you for playing that with me. And thank you for coming on again. This was awesome. I'm so glad we got to have you on and can't wait, like I said, for the rest of your work, not only for softball, but across all the sports that you cover. Well, thanks for having me. Enjoy the rest of the tournament. I love that I got to connect with Nicole because she does great work and she's one of us. You know, she's a softball player, softball fan, softball journalist, and just shows you that we're everywhere. You can't, you can't go anywhere without finding one of us. So with that, let's transition to the foul tip of the week. This week's foul tip is about being aggressive. Like I told Nicole, I loved her message about this and how she broke it down even further in our conversation. And I want to just reinforce it because in her talk that I watched, she doesn't just talk about being aggressive, but she talks about being aggressive in a good way. Because yes, the connotation of being aggressive, especially for women, is negative. So we do have to specify that we mean this in a positive way. And I've definitely fallen in the trap that she talks about, about wanting to do a good job and be my full self, but also trying to be grateful and humble and liked. And it's just not possible for everyone to like you. It actually ends up making you hold back a bit when you when that's your goal, when that's what you're trying to do. 
And when I was younger, I didn't really care what other people thought about me, especially when it came to softball. Honestly, I was actually a little bit too rigid in that way. But as I've gotten older and further in my career, I, I've almost gone too far the other way at times. And that's, that's not the answer either. So recently, very recently, I've been tapping back into that edge that I feel like I used to have, but obviously now in a more mature way, like how Nicole describes it, you know, putting into words what I've been feeling. And that is, I think, what so many feel all the time. So I really appreciated that from her. And I think athlete or not, you know, this means not being afraid to be the loudest version of yourself, to push back when it's warranted, to advocate for yourself and others. It doesn't mean we have to swing all the way from toxic humility to toxic entitlement, but if something is right and real, that's kind of all you need. It's all you need to know. I mean, you can do it without fear because you know it's coming from the right place. And then from there, the chips just fall where they may. So you go from things kind of happening to you to you happening to things. It's very freeing and it helps build confidence. And I think that freedom and that peace is irreplaceable. So that's it. Be aggressive in a good way. That's the foul tip of the week. You've been listening to Believe in Softball, part of Believe Network and presented by Bet Online. The show is available anywhere you get your podcasts, wherever you listen, including Believe.com and YouTube too. Subscribe to the show, rate the show, and if you liked it, write a review for it. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Believe in Softball. Again, that's B-L-E-A-V. You can reach out to me personally on Twitter at JennaBacera01 and Instagram at JennaBacera as well. As always, thank you for tuning in and catch you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.